I used to say to myself, sitting on the bunker, if I had uh, one hot meal a day, six hours of sleep, and no one trying to blow me away, I'd never want for another thing. And I came home and had all of that and much, much more. And what we've all felt, the responsibility to live a life for those men who couldn't. And it was hard. And I'm not completely over that war in my life. I probably never will. Somebody asked me one time, when were you in Vietnam? I said, last night in my dreams. Operation Swift was a search-and-destroy mission in September 1967. For those of us who were there, it was a bloodbath. We lost so many men, over 20% dead or wounded, and the enemy lost even more. The intensity of combat was staggering. As we walked the ground of Operation Swift, I didn't really see fields and hilltops. I saw only their faces, the faces of the bravest men I've ever known. Men I went to war with, men who committed themselves to me, and I committed to them. We would not leave a man behind, no, not one. We brought them all back, but too many of them were dead and hurt. Good morning. Uh, that was my war. You've had a war, and you will have some wars. You will be in situations where you have no clue what to do. And when that happens, what's going to be important is who is your God? Who is your God? I want to talk this morning about discipleship in the family and beyond. Our focus verse is Matthew 28, 19, a verse lived out right here with all of you in this wonderful church. In this wonderful pulpit, your pastor has preached and modeled this, where the Lord said to his troops, our commanding officer, as he went home to be with God the Father, the Lord Jesus Christ said, go therefore and make church members. Did I get that right? Go therefore and write books, build buildings, have picnics and all kinds of things. Did I get that right? No, I... I didn't. The Lord said all of those things, other places, and he could have said them again. But what he said here was one word that encompasses all of that. He said, go therefore and make disciples. Let's just ask ourselves a simple question. Are we a disciple? And are we making disciples? Well, I was in a church... Uh, I, at one point, was an elder in my church, Sunday school teacher. I'd been through a youth program. We met with the youth on Sunday and Saturday. We did different things, retreats and different things. And I was in the building, but I was not a disciple. The question today is, are we a disciple and are we making disciples? My goal as a young high schooler was all about me. I looked out for me. If you were one of my friends, you wouldn't want to go to war with me because it was all about me. Uh, I took advantage of relationships for me. I competed with my friends for me. 
it was all about me. One way or another, it was all about me. I cheated my way through high school, barely got into college. I graduated from high school, get this, I graduated from high school with barely a C minus average. Now some of you have taken the SATs or will take the SATs and you remember that they were used to be scored, 800 was a perfect score, I didn't even get halfway up the scale. Graduating with a C minus average, I was stunned when I got into college. Uh, I did get accepted to Ohio University in Athens, Ohio. Anybody here from Ohio University? You would rather I wouldn't name the school for what I'm about to tell you. Anyway, I got into Ohio, not state, University in Athens, Ohio, and uh, I remember thinking, wow, that's really exciting. I got into Ohio University, you know, and coincidentally, my father had attended Ohio University, been student body president. My mother, Phi Beta Kappa, my grandfather, an English teacher there, and my Uncle Chubb, very importantly, Uncle Chubb, gave a large sum of money to Ohio University. <laughs> the administration building bears his name, the Chubb Administration Building. And I got in there through all that family pull. I had a lady from Ohio University who didn't appreciate that, and I said, hey, I'm just telling you the facts. So I'm going to try to give you some facts this morning about that. Uh, I got into Ohio University, and I set upon a new, I turned over a new leaf. Have you ever done that? Have you ever set a new leaf? January 1st, a new goal. I erased the board. I committed to study, to work hard, to be prepared. I went to the bookstore and got all the latest equipment. I got the course outlines. I got all the equipment ready to go. I showed up for class. I even committed, I even committed to get out of the bars early enough at night to study the next day. This was life change. And then after about three weeks, I was back in the same old habit of staying up late at night, all about me, dating people, all about me, and doing the things that you do when you're selfish, and in sleeping through my morning classes, and after two semesters, I got that inevitable letter from the dean of men informing me that I'd flunked out of college and asking me to never return. So there I am. I'm 19 years old. I hate to be told what to do. I don't like rules. I don't like regimentation. I don't like to answer questions on tests, and, and I just didn't like authority. So what do you think I did? <coughs> I joined the Marine Corps. <laughs> All together now. That was stupid. All together now. That was stupid. Are you kidding me? And I'm standing there. If you've not heard about this, you should. Standing on those yellow footprints with a shaved head with this maniac screaming at me. Thinking to myself, I just want to go home. <laughs> I just want to go back and study college algebra. See, life lived that way makes some of the hard things look a lot easier. And I was shipped off to South Vietnam where I met and engaged with some of the finest men on the planet, most of whom came home to mom and dad in bags. Most of whom didn't come home in one piece. And I remember thinking, I couldn't keep them alive. It was so frustrating. I didn't have an answer for them. Mom and dad would fight and argue late in the, in the night. My sister would just try to sleep through it. I'd go down and engage and, and try to help them, you know. 
One time they were yelling at each other, and my dad was saying, my, my parents were raised in the, in the Depression. I had all these hardships. My family was a wreck, and my mother was talking about her dominant mother, how bad her parents were. And I said, wait a minute, ladies and gentlemen. You think your parents were bad? You ought to see mine. <laughs> I came home at 10 years old and found my mother in a pool of blood. After her first attempted suicide, the second time was sleeping pills. Dad, I can't wake her up. And that motion of not being able to wake her up was one I repeated with John Atkinson, many others. I couldn't keep them alive. You see, today, older people and younger people you are going to feel, as you already have, helpless to really impact somebody else in this world because perhaps you're not sure who you're following and you're not a disciple. You're not a disciple maker. You know, there's a time for questions. I'm not here as a judge. I'm here as a witness. Let's take a look at 1 Kings chapter 18. Verse 19, many of you could recite this chapter. This is a chapter about Mount Carmel, one of the greatest miracles to have ever been recorded. Uh, the prophets of Baal were against the one last remaining faithful, Elijah. And now on Mount Carmel, there were 450 prophets of Baal and another 400 prophets. There were 850 trained, organized leaders against the Lord and Elijah. There are going to be times, young people, you are going to be very alone. And there's some older people in this auditorium. When your feet hit the ground and you're worried about your youngest or you're worried about the board meeting, you're worried about your job, you're worried about the car note, you feel very alone. Elijah felt alone, but he wasn't because of who he followed. In fact, he said this. He uh, said, Elijah came near all the people and said, How long will you hesitate between two options? How long, Dad, will it be that you hesitate between the Internet and being set free through the Scripture? How long, Mom, will it be that you will hesitate between unforgiveness for the unforgivable and freedom in forgiving your husband? I emailed a couple recently and I said, you know, you describe all the pain of your anger and your deceit and all the things that have happened in your marriage, and it is so complicated. You have one of those going on right now with your family or with you or with a friend? It's so complicated. Listen, I'm a trained trial lawyer, and I can't figure out who's right and who's wrong. All the issues, load them up, this and that, so forth. And finally, I just said, let me ask you this. Have you chosen to follow the God of the Bible and forgive one another. All the people were gathered, and Elijah said, How long will you hesitate between two options? This is verse 21, 1 Kings 18, verse 21. If the Lord is God, follow him. If it is Baal, follow him. 
And then he set upon a task that God had given him to build an altar. See, you are building something. You are building a high school record right now. You are building reputation with the people that know you. A reputation for slothfulness, purity, for anxiety, or faith. You're building a dossier with your children as you raise them as a dad who forgives or forgets his sin. You're, you're, you're dealing with people in your home. They see it all. Susie and I would say we're going in the bedroom to have a discussion. They knew we were fighting. They knew we were fighting before we knew we were fighting. Because they saw how tired mom was. And they saw, as I hit the door, my anxiety all over my face. And Anna's going, oh no, it's going to happen again. I'm going to go to the, my room and hide. And Paul was going, he's not going to ruin another night, is he? And Matt's going, hot dog, I can't wait to see what's going to happen now. And so we had choices along the way. One of the greatest choices I ever made was to follow God. Reckless abandon. Just follow the Lord. <laughs> to uh, come out of my pride and arrogance and receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And my wife said, you know, if God can change him, she said this to herself, she said, if God can change him, God can do anything. Now, ladies and gentlemen, if God can change a lawyer, there's hope for the world. <laughs> you know? And, and, and so she became a follower of Jesus Christ. Now, she was not the fornicator, angry, cheating, wrathful, wounded individual. She came from a very whole home. She had very good competency. She was Phi Beta everything. She was home on time without a curfew. She did the right thing. Uh, people didn't take advantage of her on dates because they knew that she was a strong charactered woman and wouldn't stand for it. And so she didn't have some of the experiences other people had, some of those that went out with me. She, uh, she was very calm, but her God was maybe like your God. Her God was doing what she wanted to do, when she wanted to do it, how she wanted to do it, and she was very successful at that. Susie's God was Susie, and her flesh was independence and control and run her own life. Now, my flesh stunk, the things I just described. They were antisocial, anti-God, and they stunk. Her flesh was grade A flesh. <laughs> it looked good, but it still was against God because she was running her own life. That may be where you are today. You might be very good at it. You might be so good at it, nobody else knows that you're really following the God of this world, not the God of the universe and the God Jehovah. So she was very good at that. And she found something that she could not control. She found something that was not something she could conquer. We had a phenomenal marriage. We had a wonderful marriage. Our marriage was great, perfect. I was kind to her. I was gentle to her. I loved her with all my heart. I was faithful to her until the second night. And, uh, well, why don't we go ahead and play the video on Susie, a woman who married a wounded man.
Phil's anger was sometimes overwhelming. We had gotten a set of TV tables for a wedding present, and one by one, in his anger, he had smashed all but one to the ground. There were marks from a telephone in our plaster wall over the area you would hang the phone in the kitchen where he had slammed the phone into the wall. I think the thing that, that did keep me going was how sorry he would be and how repentant he would be at how he had treated me. But I have to say, as, as the days and then the months and the years of this continued, you know, my love for him started slipping away. And I actually began thinking about divorce. Uh, we graduated from law school together. We were the only married couple in the whole law school. And we sat right side by side all the way through Emory Law School. And then called the roll to every class. Downer Philip, Downer Susie, Susan, everybody would laugh. Um, we were unique because we were a married couple going through law school together. We were also unique because my wife was going to file her first lawsuit that was going to be Downer versus Downer. She was going to sue me for divorce, and I had it coming. And then some people like you came alongside and uh, slammed us with the Bible and said, you need Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the answer. Well, they didn't do that. If they had done that, I would have said, I didn't know what the question is. And I go to one of those. I got my church, kind of like a political action group, on Sunday morning. In fact, I was an elder in my church. Are you impressed? Not only that, I was the elder in charge of evangelism in my church while I was committing adultery. I wasn't doing a lot of pornography. I was kind of live on that stuff. And nobody knew that. And they said, well, evangelism. I said, what's that? They said, well, that's reaching the community. So the sole total program of the entire evangelism committee, which I ran as elder in charge of evangelism for a whole year, we had a blood drive. And you say, you were a hypocrite. No, 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 no. I was not a hypocrite. I didn't understand it. I didn't understand it. When I came to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, I was so stunned, I broke into a church. I didn't really break the door down, but I snuck into a church, the old one I used to go to, at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and got out the books and read them to figure out if it was in there that God loved me and that grace was free and that I could be pardoned of my sin. I couldn't believe it. And I was being discipled by a man who would sit down with me. You have lots of friends. Is there a time that you ever sit down with your friend and simply sit down in a quiet moment and stop talking about yourself and forget about if it's Brady's fault or not and say to your friend, how are you doing? My big brother in uh, college uh, had a handful because they pledged a Vietnam veteran in my fraternity. That was me. They never had one of those before, and after what I'm going to tell you, you'll understand they never had one since. 
But we were sitting around. We were supposed to kind of terrorize the brothers, you know, do pull a prank on the, on the brothers. And they said, okay, what we want you to do is we want you to do something to the brothers, you know, and that was our pledge trainers. So the pledges had a meeting. We got together, and one guy said, let's put shaving cream on the toilet seats. I'm going, oh, man, that is seventh grade. Well, no, no, well, let, let's short shit. No, no, we don't want to do that. And they finally looked at me and said, okay, what do you want to do? Combat veteran from Marine, from the Marine Corps, combat veteran from Vietnam. Uh, I joined the Marines at 19. Uh, uh, a little older than you, not near as old as you, um, and came home, joined that fraternity, and they said, well, what do you want to do? And I said, you know what we ought to do? Why don't we tear gas the fraternity house? <laughs> so for three consecutive nights, we went home for my 40th college reunion. Those brothers were telling Susie, yeah, Phil was the only adult in the room. He split us up into three platoons, and we attacked the fraternity house three consecutive nights with tear gas. <laughs> After the third night, they finally surrendered and said, okay, we quit. We quit. The tear gas was terrible, but the raw tacks in the hallway were really, they hit them with their bare feet getting out of their rooms, you know. My big brother I won't mention his name. His name was Bill. He, uh, he would help me think of things to do with my girlfriends. He came up with one idea, pajama party. I don't have to describe that one, do I? <laughs> After many years of pain and coming to know the Lord, at the end of my rope, my wife forgiving me, my big brother from the fraternity came to see me, and I sat him in the kitchen, and I said, tell me, Bill, how long have you been a Christian? And he said, oh, I was a Christian back when I knew you in college. And my wife started to weep. And I wanted to grab Bill by the throat and give him some marine training. I was outraged that he knew Jesus. He knew the answer to sin. He knew the power over sin. He knew the walk that would reach freedom. He never shared it with me. And I was just livid. I still have a hard time with that man. And it would be like in Vietnam with those guys going into battle and saying, you know, I'm kind of tired today. Why don't you take care of it? We, would, we were surrounded on Operation Essex. Ralph Crosley screams out, he's hit. I left from where I was firing a machine gun about this distance and went to here. That's about 150 yards in combat from there to here to go help my buddy because I was semper fidelis, say semper fidelis. That means always faithful. Are we that way to our friends? Are, are we teaching this book to our children? You know, gentlemen, there are lots of ways to teach this book and the principles of the Lord to our children. But the way we are teaching this book, most assuredly, is by how we act. We're coming out of a ski retreat, and I was so tickled I'd taken all these boys skiing. Now, why would I go skiing 
when I, I hate snow, I hate to be cold, I don't like to try to balance on boards, I got bad knees, I don't want to spend $17 on a perfectly ordinary hamburger and french fries and pay a guy $100 to tow me up a mountain that I might kill myself going down. Why would I do that? Because I was committed to Matthew 28, 19, to make disciples. I took my sons and a bunch of young single guys. We talked about discipleship at night, and it was great. We had a wonderful time. We talked about the Lord. We talked about Scripture. We talked about a lot of things, and talk is wonderful about the Lord. Prayer is wonderful, but it's how we live our life that really impacts people. Coming home, we're going up Rabbit Ears Pass. Have you ever gone up Rabbit Ears Pass in Colorado? It's suicide and snow. There's a great big cliff on the side. We have this high-top van that blew with the wind. We're going up there. Our wheels are spinning. The sign was blinking. Proceed no further without chains. I had ordinary tires to Tennessee. I just kept going. Blew right by that place. And we're going up there. We're going up. We went all the way up, skidding, wiping off the ice off the windshield. It's blazing snow. Because I knew that if I didn't get through Rabbit Ears Pass, I'd be there for three days, snowed in. So I'm just trying to stay ahead of the storm that's coming from California. I'm going to Tennessee, so if I just get ahead of it, I'll be all set. So then we're going down Rabbit Ears Pass, the wheels spinning all the way down Rabbit Ears Pass. Finally, we get out, and now we've been up all night driving. The boys are asleep. It's about 9 in the morning, and we get out in uh, eastern Colorado, and uh, the snow stopped. sun came out, and I went, wow, I made it. Gentlemen, ladies, that may be your most vulnerable moment when you can say to yourself, I made it. Because this life isn't over yet, and you haven't finished training your kids. You haven't finished training your grandkids. And there's not a time yet that you have, in all respects, chosen to walk with the Lord. And so I said, I've made it. So I pulled into this gas station, had to get gas, and I pulled out my credit card, looked down, they said, okay, yep, they take my credit card. Okay, here it is. Okay, here's my credit card. I filled up the tank, and a guy came around, and I said, okay, here's my credit card. He said, I'm sorry, sir, we don't take credit cards. I said, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. Says right there, credit cards. He was about 25 years old. I said, oh, we don't take them. I need cash. And I said, well, I don't have any cash. Now, the kids, the boys were all asleep, and all the stuff's in the car. They're all laying on the floor. I didn't have any money on me. <coughs> There might have been, I figured there might have been money somewhere, but it certainly wasn't on me. I didn't wake up, want to wake up the boys. So I insisted, take my credit card. You advertise that. Well, you know, we're a collection of things. I'm a collection of, well, uh, I'm a minister. Uh, I'm a lawyer. And I'm a Marine. And uh, so uh, this young man was being pretty stubborn about it. So the minister showed up and I said, sir, I've got these guys from a retreat. We're coming on this. He said, I don't care. I need, I need cash. Wow. Minister didn't work out very well in that. So the lawyer shows up. And I said, sir, you made representations to me about taking credit cards. I relied on those expectations, expectations, uh, representations in good faith and filled my tank with gas. And now you are breaching that expectation. That's called fraud. I depend upon He said, sir... I don't care. We only take cash. Oh, man, the lawyer didn't work out so well. So United States Marine Corps shows up. I said, okay, take back your gas. He said, pull it around back. What? 
pull it around back. Are you kidding me? We pulled it around back, and there was this little guy with a pump pumping that gas out of that car, and all the fumes coming out. I don't know if you're about gasoline and fumes, but it's like dynamite coming out of there. And the little pump had one of those flashers on the spark plug going pop, 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 with sparks going everywhere. We had sparks. We had gasoline. We were about to have Armageddon right there in that garage. And it occurred to me, Something, sir, that needs to occur to you this morning. Something, ma'am, that needs to occur to you this morning. Something, young people, that needs to occur to you this morning. Who is it that we're following? Are we following forgiveness and forgiving those around us, Lord Jesus Christ? Are we following truth? Are we humbly following truth, or are we full of pride? As James says, the Lord is against the proud. And it occurred to me something that I want to ask you about this morning. It occurred to me that I was about to blow up my family because I was standing on my pride. So I had them wheel the thing around back, and they uh, or continued they stopped, I said, stop pumping it out. They had it back. I said, stop pumping it out. And I woke everybody up. And I got uh, enough money from everybody. Who heard the conversation? All my boys. Was I teaching that morning? Yes, sir. Absolutely. You see, we teach. And what I needed to do was the hardest thing for me to do. Sit down with those guys and say, you know what? I was wrong. All the things we know, would you forgive me for almost blowing you up? So who is the friend that you're almost blowing up, family member? Or who is the friend you're neglecting and leaving the battle with? I had a man that stuck with me, and he followed 2 Timothy 2.2. 2 Timothy 2.2 is a spiritual reproduction verse. Say spiritual reproduction. Spiritual reproduction. What that means is, you know, it's reproducing your life spiritually. So 2 Timothy 2.2, Paul is speaking to his protege, Timothy. And Paul says to Timothy, And Timothy, the things you've heard from me, these things entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. I taught John well. I taught him to be the best machine gunner in the, in the company, which I had been, and now he was. He was from Syracuse, New York. Only man that didn't use profanity. The only man in my outfit, that little outfit that was married, had a little baby on the way. He was one of the goodest men. You know any good people? He was one of the goodest men I've ever known. Uh, I, I wish I could have told him what I know now, but I didn't know then what I know now. I wish I'd known then what I know now. But what I know, knew then, wasn't enough. Uh, the machine gun fire went off as we're going around the left flank. We just lost 20% of our men dead or wounded. Most of them died in the initial 90 seconds of combat. Things happen fast in life. And you can't make decisions about how you're going to live your life during the moment of the combat. You've got to make your decision yesterday and decide what you're going to do when people want you to do things that are ungodly. You've got to decide what you're going to do now with your anger and your unforgiveness. Decide it now because in the heat of the moment, it's often too late. And uh, so we were well trained. We 
uh, fought our way out of that. We're going around the left flank. John's on a machine gun. He was the target. I carried the machine gun. I got promoted. He became the machine gunner. He was the target. And you are the target. Many of you felt like the target. The enemy was waiting for the machine gunner, the firepower. I went on by. They opened up. Rup, 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 rup. I went to hit the deck, return fire. A bullet went through the bottom of my pack and came out the top. And he fell on top of me. John, full of holes and bled out, wouldn't go home to his mom. 20 years later, after hearing me on the radio program, his little daughter called and said, I want you to tell me about my dad and how he died. I didn't know what I know now. I would have told John about heaven. I didn't know what I know now with a lot of friends. I didn't know how to solve things then, but I know now that through the Lord Jesus Christ, he can rain down fire on the altar and prove to your friends and your colleagues and your kids that he's God. That's what he did with Elijah. Elijah built the altar, and the Lord showed up and rained down fire, and all worshipped him. So as you go today, where are we going with our kids and teaching them about the Lord Jesus Christ? How about your friends? Well, I don't know how to disciple anybody. Well, do you eat? Well, yeah, of course we eat. You ever eat alone? Sure, I eat alone a lot. Well, you're missing an opportunity. Take somebody with you. You've got a weekend neighbor time coming. If you invite people you haven't talked to or seen for the last three or four months, they won't come, my experience. So what you need to do is take pastor's list. He said make a list. Get that list of people, your friends, go have a burger with them, sit them down, talk to them, get to know them, and show genuine concern for them and build trust. Build trust. As you build trust, people will trust you and they'll follow you a lot of places. They'll even follow you here the next Sunday, hopefully, and hear about the Lord Jesus Christ. And you'll be accomplishing a couple of things. You'll be answering questions for them for life. You'll be a good friend, a good dad, faithful dad. You'll be someone who's making disciples. And so as we go, I'm very thankful for a man who met with me, asked me questions like, how are you doing? What's going on in your life? And then he listened to the answer. He showed concern. And then after building trust, he shared with me this. He said, Phil, you've got a war going on inside your life. And there is someone who can bring you peace. And that's the Prince of Peace. And that's the message our friends next door, that's the message your friends down the street need to hear. You're not perfect. You're not a straight-A student, maybe. You've got your struggles. You've got your problems. Who better to prove to somebody else that God receives everybody than to talk about how he's received us, even us, yes, even us, uh, bow your heads with me, would you, for a moment? Lord, I want to thank you for everyone in this room, the young and the old, the moms and the dads, and the ones who will be moms and dads down the road for our families. We thank you that we're a part of a family of yours right here. I thank you for this place, this place, this very hallowed ground where your word is preached and your word is followed and your word is encouraged among so many. And Lord, I want to interrupt my prayer right now and 
Uh, ladies and gentlemen, with your heads down, your eyes closed, would you be willing to just ask a friend to go to lunch, listen to them, build trust, and wait until maybe they share something that could give you an opportunity to talk about the God of the universe, the universe, the one who brings fire to a dead man's soul, the one who brings fire to a cold heart, the one who brought fire to my wife's heart, who not only had forgiven me, who had not only forgiven me, but she chose to walk with me now for 43 years. You brought fire to a woman's heart for the unforgivable, and I thank you for that. And so, Lord, um, I'd ask you right now for the folks here. Now, folks, if you'd like to uh, ask God for one person to disciple, uh, maybe that'd be one person you'd bring to the neighborhood, neighbor, good neighbor Sunday. Uh, would you just, with heads down and eyes closed, if you'd be willing to ask one person uh, to go to lunch to begin discipleship, would you just raise your hand? Just raise your hand. Okay, thank you. Put your hands down. Lord, I want to thank you for everyone in this room. And Lord, the question is, how long are we going to be indecisive? When is it going to be that we're going to decide to follow you with a whole heart? Yes, with our warts and our failures. Thank you for your forgiveness. And thank you for using even the likes of us to change your world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you.